thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. This week we are beginning a new sermon series titled New, which will take us through the book of Ephesians. Today, Caleb will begin by introducing the book and will walk us through its context and structure, type of literature, and will look at principalities and powers. In this sermon, Caleb looks at how we as humans have partnered with spiritual evil, which has brought death and destruction into the world. Yet Christ offers us freedom from the bondage of evils, powers, and principalities through his death and resurrection, and is bringing the church into the new humanity. Good to be back um, and in a brand new year. I'm always energized by the new year. Uh, it's exciting. There's so much possibility, so much potential. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Caleb. I'm on the pastoral team uh, here at Varsity, and we're pleased that you could join us this morning. I'm pretty excited because we are jumping into a brand new sermon series that's going to take us through the season of Epiphany and into the season of Lent. And we're going to be working our way through the book of Ephesians. And I think this is really fitting for the season of Epiphany. Because what Epiphany actually means is to show, to make known, or to reveal. And this is exactly what the book of Ephesians is all about. It's all about experiencing a new realization about how the world really is because of what Jesus has done. And this is what Paul longs for the Ephesians to experience, that they would come to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And I was thinking about this, what does it mean for something to surpass knowledge? I think it means we have to taste it. We have to experience it and encounter it for ourselves. So this is our prayer and our intention in building this series on Ephesians. And the big picture goal is that as we delve into this letter to the Ephesians, that we would all experience a fresh encounter with Jesus, the living person, the reigning king. So this morning we need to lay some groundwork, do some foundation building, uh, so that we can tackle this book properly. So this will be an introductory sermon. Ephesians is only six chapters, but it's extremely theologically dense. It's very heavy, and there's, there's no way around that, really. And uh, so I'm not going to tell you that you need to take notes, but you could do what I did in university and just make friends with someone who takes notes, and then you should be good to go. I do want to encourage you to uh, make a goal of reading through the book each week. It's only six chapters. It shouldn't take you very long. And just notice if your experience of reading Ephesians changes during our time spent in the book together. And as always, we also have resources for you on our website, on Sermons Plus, and you can access those at any time. So this morning is going to be an introduction to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So first, we're going to look at the context and the structure of the book, just briefly. Then we're going to consider Ephesians as apocalyptic literature. That's exciting. Um, And then we're going to talk about Paul's concept 
of the principalities and the powers. So some brief context on Ephesians. Uh, The city of Ephesus was located in western Turkey, and it was a busy place of trade. So there was a lot of different cultural influences, a lot of different systems of power because of this. Now Paul had spent several years in Ephesus helping to establish the church that was there. And now this letter is written quite a bit later, uh, sometime in the early 60s AD. And Paul would have been writing this primarily from a Roman prison. He wrote many letters during his time in prison, trying to help guide churches from a distance when he couldn't be with them there in person. Now the structure of Ephesians is pretty simple. It's split into two distinct sections. Now, the first section is chapters 1 to 3, and this is a doctrinal or a theological section. And then the second section is chapters 4 to chapter 6, and this is more of a practical section. Both of these sections also have what's called a chiastic structure, and this is just a Hebrew writing technique, which puts the most emphasis on what's in the middle So you could think of it like a sandwich. The meat or the protein is in the middle. So in the middle of chapters 1 to 3, you have what Paul is trying to say, the emphasis of what he's trying to say. And then in the middle of 4 to 6, you have the same thing. It's the emphasis is in the middle. And this is a bit different from our Western styles of writing. We tend to emphasize things at or near the end. So you can think of the structure of Ephesians as sort of one big if-then statement. So 1 to 3, chapters 1 to 3 is the if, and then chapters 4 to 6 are the then. So Paul is saying, if all of these theological realities, if these things about Jesus Christ are actually true, then this is what you're going to see in your life and in the church. And we do get into problems when we separate these because it's important that they remain joined together. Okay, so next, Ephesians as apocalyptic literature. Some of you are grabbing your popcorn and you're thinking, what is he talking about? Um, Because if you Google apocalypse, what do you see? Mostly fiery pictures of the end of the world, right? Everything is in ruins and in chaos. And this isn't the actual uh, original meaning of the word. So the Greek term is apocalypsis. And apocalypse actually means to uncover or to reveal. So you could imagine if I had a blanket over this table right now, you couldn't see what was on it. And then I pull the blanket away and all of a sudden you can see what's there. That's what apocalypse means. Now Ephesians is apocalyptic because it's all about this hidden reality or this hidden truth that has been revealed to us by Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 9 says this, And through the revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus, the anointed one, God unveiled his secret desires to us, the hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. So who Jesus is and what he's at work to accomplish even right now has actually always been 
a true part of reality since the beginning of time. But it was hidden. It was unknown. And actually, it's still hidden and unknown to many people in our world today. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. So he knew the scriptures inside and out. He knew more about God and how God worked than most of us can ever hope to. But even he, for him, this reality of Jesus was still hidden from him until he had a personal encounter with the living Jesus. And this was Paul's apocalypse. And it's the same one that he prays for the Ephesians to have and for us to have as well. And this is an ongoing apocalypse. It's about more and more being able to see the world how it really is, not how it's been taught to us and not how it sometimes appears to be. So here's a picture that captures a bit of what I'm talking about here. This is a cool image from the Ephesians course uh, by the the Bible Project. What the artists have done here, you can see, so if you were to walk into a gallery to view this, you would come in and you actually, initially you can't see the, the shadow that's being cast. All you can see is what they've made here with a bunch of garbage, right? You can see that. Um, but as you get closer, this light that's shining on the garbage reveals something else in the background, right? There's actually this beautiful cityscape that emerges. Um, and this is... This is the idea of apocalypse, okay? So, this is the apocalypse that we desperately need to start to see the world, which sometimes to us appears like a wasteland. But we need to start to see it through the light of Christ, and that changes everything that we see. So, Ephesians is about uncovering the true story of the world and finding our place within it. Now, what is the true reality that Paul couldn't see, but now sees? And this is an image that we looked at sometime in the summer. There's a lot going on. We're going to keep it up for a little while, and I'll explain a little bit more about it. But what I really want you to notice here is that heaven and earth are actually overlapping in this worldview. Um, this is the New Testament worldview. This is how the authors of the New Testament understood the world. And, and if you notice, heaven and earth are overlapping. The material, the natural, physical world, and the unseen spiritual world are actually united. They're one thing. And so a part of our trouble as modern readers of Ephesians is we tend to think of spiritual things as non-material or non-physical. And that's not how the authors of the New Testament thought about this. A biblical worldview says that you are both a physical and a spiritual being. And these realities are actually connected to each other and not separate or divided. So in the Hebrew, our, our spirits are actually part of our bodies. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, and it means breath. Um, And it's this idea of we're connected. As human beings made in God's image, we are a spirit, we are a body. These things are happening at the same time. It's the same with heaven and earth. They're overlapping. But we know the union has been broken, right? It's been broken by sin. 
And so we have this stuff on the left. We have evil, sin, death, violence, and all of these things. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which you see here, that's the picture of the cross and the empty tomb. After that, Jesus ascends into heaven to the highest place of authority. And he's now ruling and reigning over all of these things, over heaven and earth, over this age and the age that is coming. So what Jesus is doing right now, even right now, at this moment, he's knitting together heaven and earth. He's reuniting heaven and earth back together. So all of this stuff on the left is being removed by the Holy Spirit. And all of this stuff on the right is being brought in by the work and the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And I do understand that it's easy to look at an image like this and think, well, that sounds great. But if we're being honest, I think mostly what we see when we look at the world is the stuff on the left. Isn't that true? But if we go back to that artwork that I just shared, sometimes it takes a second look and a bright light to see anything more than garbage. And it's in this sense that Ephesians is very apocalyptic. It's about having the eyes of our hearts opened so that we can see the true reality of the world by the light of Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this the best. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The next thing that I want us to consider this morning is Paul's concept of the powers and the principalities. The New Testament talks a lot about rulers, authorities, powers of the air, and it comes up a lot in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians talks a lot about spiritual conflict. And so understanding spiritual conflict and this connection, again, between the physical world and the spiritual world is a big part of reading Ephesians properly. So I want to just show you four scriptures um, that just show us how this concept is really woven throughout the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians 1 Verse 20 to 21 says, Christ is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Ephesians 2.2 says, The age of this world, the ruler of the authority of the air, the spirit who is now working among the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 3.10 says, The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. And Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not battle flesh and blood, but the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the evil spiritual beings in the heavenly realm. Clearly this is an important idea to try to understand if we're going to be reading Ephesians well. Yet again, because of this tendency we have to think of spiritual as non-material, that really impacts how we think about spiritual evil 
as well. So when we hear powers, principalities, rulers, authorities, what comes to mind? I think we either mostly think of corrupt human systems, or maybe just human systems. They don't have to be corrupt. Or maybe we think about these kind of non-physical, evil, spiritual beings. And the truth is, it's really a combination between these two. And so the physical world and the spiritual world are interconnected, not separate realities. And I think understanding the principalities and the powers actually becomes a bit easier when we remember that human beings are designed by God for partnership. So God's original plan for humanity is to co-rule, to co-labor, to co-work with, in partnership with him, right? And to rule the creation, to steward it, to have power over it in a way that he has power. God uses power for good, and we're supposed to do that as well while we stay dependent on him. That's the original design, right? But it's been broken. Um, it's been broken, and there's, we've been tricked into a different kind of partnership. And so this is actually an unholy partnership with spiritual evil. And what this means is the ideas that we're embodying, that we're giving life to, aren't actually coming from God, but they're coming from this realm of spiritual evil. And this is what is at the root of the devastation and the darkness that we see and experience in our world. And this is Paul's concept of the powers. I think the easiest way we can define it, this is a huge concept. Um, I'm giving a kind of a a simple way that we can try to understand it. Um, But I think the easiest way is to think of human partnership with spiritual evil. So there's a visible element, there's a human element, but then there's also an invisible or a spiritual element. And these two are connected and knit together. And Paul, both Paul and Jesus say that the human participation with this is actually the smaller part. Because Jesus says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. right? And Paul says, we don't fight flesh and blood, but rulers and authorities. So he's saying humans are mostly ignorant about what's happening in this, in this partnership. We don't want to be in it, but we find ourselves in it. So h- how does this happen? How does a, a power or a principality become established in the world? Again, I'm going to simplify this, but this is one way we can think about it. The first is that evil ideas are presented as good. Then good gets redefined. And then this evil that's been redefined as good gets collectively agreed on. And then broken human systems get built on deceptive and evil ideas as their foundation. So ideas don't really have a lot of power when they're just held by individuals, right? If I'm alone at my house and I build a a shrine to myself, That's not very powerful, right? But if I get a bunch of people together and I get them to agree, um, to agree with me and to worship this shrine, all of a sudden it starts to have more power. So when Paul's talking about principalities and powers, 
He's not just talking about human systems, but he's also not just talking about Satan and the demons or evil spirits. He's talking about this unholy partnership between the two. So there's this collective nature to how the powers work. The powers of evil are trying ultimately to influence the entire world toward their ends, which are chaos, destruction, and death. And I think this has to change how we think about spiritual warfare because we tend to think of it as one of us being tempted by maybe a personal evil being or something like that. And I do think that that's true. I think that that happens. But the powers are much more interested in building an entire culture of influence where large groups of human beings have agreed and built culture around deceptive ideas. And I think that this understanding of principalities and powers gives us, as followers of Jesus, the most legitimate framework for understanding systemic evil. Systemic evil has become kind of popular to talk about uh, recently, but it's always without reference to the spiritual realities that are operating behind the scenes. Remember, Paul and Jesus say, these are the ones that are more responsible. So it's, it's beyond the capacity of human beings, I think, to just conjure up in our own hearts and minds the level of evil that we see in this world. There are a lot of examples in history of these unholy partnerships that I'm describing, but I want to look at one from our own history here in Canada. And so I'm going to walk through that, that step, those steps that I put up earlier. I'm going to walk through that with this example. So first it starts with an evil idea. So the evil idea I want to talk about is this idea that Europeans and European culture are inherently superior to indigenous people and indigenous culture. So this idea gets presented as good. Indigenous people, they need help. They're not ready for the modern future. They don't have the industry, and so we have to help them. We have to take pity on them. And so then after this agreement takes place, we agree with that, and we start to build systems on that idea. And the residential school system is birthed. And now this evil system has been created, and the system's sole purpose was to convince indigenous children that they were less than their settler neighbors. And if we just take a step back from this, and we say, well, who's responsible? Who's the ruler of this evil system? Is it the Canadian government? Is it the church who partnered with the Canadian government? Is it Sir John A. Macdonald? Is it the citizens of the country who were mostly ignorant, but still agreed with an evil idea? It's, it's all of the above, right? It's an unholy partnership. There's human beings who are responsible. There's a liar who is responsible, Satan. And there's now a system that's in operation that's actually taken on a life of its own. It's humans partnering with deceptive and evil ideas that we're embodying them and we're giving them life. And Um, we still feel the consequences of this in this country today. 
So many of you know by now my background is in, in youth work, and I still do a lot of work with youth in the criminal justice system. And this is the question, who's overrepresented in the child welfare system and in the criminal justice system in this country? It's indigenous and other minority children and young people, visible minorities. And many of these young people still live with an internalized sense of racism where they feel inferior. Uh, and it's because of this evil idea that, that was from, from back then that is still at work. It still has power. It's a power. It's a principality. It's still at work in our city today. And this isn't simply a historical problem. There are evil, satanic ideas and systems built on them at work all around us right now and embedded in our culture. And I want to point this out. Paul doesn't say every human system is evil. But they are human, and that means that they're easily corrupted because we are easily corrupted. Ephesians 2.2 says this. It wasn't that long ago that you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. It wasn't that long ago that we were all in an unholy partnership with these systems of oppression and these powers that are bringing death and destruction into our lives and into God's good world. And I know that this is feeling hopeless, but if we don't grasp the magnitude of how bad our situation really is, then what does the hope and the freedom that Jesus offers us really mean? Because Jesus doesn't just offer freedom from my individual sins or my individual acts of evil, like lying or stealing or whatever it is. He offers freedom from the powers and the principalities, from the systems of oppression and evil that are even now at work to destroy this world. Jesus is ushering in a whole new economy, a whole new system. And remember that in this system, Jesus said, the last will be first, and the first will be last. And we're absolutely being offered freedom from these powers because these powers that I've just been talking about, we've been talking about, that we've all partnered with, were actually defeated by Jesus throughout his life and ultimately in his death and his resurrection. And look, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't overthrow systems of oppression like people wanted him to or like sometimes we want him to. And remember, Jesus was born in a similarly oppressive system. And he himself was a victim of it. We just celebrated Christmas shortly after the birth of Jesus. He, he and his family have to flee to Egypt because Herod has decided to kill all of the Hebrew males under two. It's an oppressive, evil power at work. And Jesus was under a system like this. Yet we see Jesus in his life loving both the people who benefit from the system, the centurions, the tax collectors, 
but also we see him loving the victims of the system. His disciples were these fishermen who had the system set against them. And, and he loves them and he walks with them. So Jesus stands with human beings whose hearts are open to him, regardless of their status in the power structure of the society. And he knows also that overthrowing any single evil system, power or principality, will simply establish a new one if people haven't changed on a heart level. And Jesus shows us through his life and teaching that there's actually a different path, that our hearts can actually change and we can live free from partnership with spiritual evil. Because Jesus wants to heal us on a heart level. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is his first defeat of Satan and the powers. Jesus is tempted by Satan, remember, and probably throughout his life. We get it in one story, but it would have been happening throughout his life. And he's tempted to sell his soul for performance, for possessions, or for popularity. But Jesus will not yield to these tactics. So Satan leaves and comes back at an opportune time. And this is when Jesus is about to be killed. Okay, Jesus has overcome these other temptations his whole life, but surely he's not going to submit to an unjust death. Surely he's going to pick up the sword. He's going to defend himself and play the game that Satan and the powers want him to. The ultimate display of defeat over the powers is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus refuses to yield to Satan and the powers until the very end. Colossians 2.15 says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The worst weapon in the arsenal of the powers is death. This is the end of all the deceptive, distorted ideas. But Jesus shows that he has authority even over death. And Jesus is now at work to set us free from partnership with the powers by dying for our sin and restoring us to the true partnership with God. We gave our authority away to someone else when we got tricked, but Jesus has come to restore it to us. And now God promises to take even the evil that we have done and bring good out of it as we surrender it and yield it to him. This is the God who turned the death of his son into the gospel. He brings good out of evil, out of bad things. And the true church is not a corruptible human system. It's the first expression of the new humanity. All things are being made new. And the church is a community of hearts that have been set free from the powers of darkness through submitting to the authority of Jesus, trusting him to guide us on the path to living how we were made to live. And so we are now the stewards of a divine human partnership, the lost partnership. And we commit our lives to partnering with God to bring heaven into earth. And this is what Ephesians is all about. This is the apocalypse 
that we really need. Because of what Jesus has done, and because of our surrender and our commitment to following him, we are the new humanity. We are new. And that's what we've called our series in Ephesians. We've called it new. Because now, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us as his church. And so this is where we're going with this series. I'm going to tell you um, the, the titles of all of our upcoming sermons because this is what, according to Ephesians, this is what we receive in Christ. First, we receive a new position. We're now seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Secondly, we receive a new gift. It's God's grace. It's his unmerited favor. We get the same favor with God that Jesus has. Third, we receive new strength. We receive the strength, the strength of Jesus. It's becoming ours as our eyes are open to the truth. We receive a new walk. We walk with spiritual gifts of Jesus. Every relationship is transformed because we have a new identity. We're set free from walking as slaves to the powers. We receive a new community. A new economy is being brought in where the first are last and the last are first. And this is the community of Jesus. This is his church. This is his bride. Lastly, we receive new weapons. So we've changed allegiances. We're now partnering with God. And so the spiritual powers of darkness stand against us. But we aren't left defenseless. We're given new weapons to fight the powers of darkness in this world. And that's where we're going with this, this series. I hope you feel excited. Um, it's a lot. Ephesians is intense. A lot of light, darkness, a lot of that stuff. But I, I hope that you're excited and that you're going to have a revelation and an encounter with the person of Jesus through our time in this book. Let me pray, and then uh, Susan is going to come lead us in a spiritual reflection. Gracious Father, uh, thank you so much for your work in this world. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and submitting to the Father and showing us that there's a different path, that we don't have to live as slaves to the powers of sin and death and darkness, that we can be set free and we can partner with you, God, to bring in uh, heaven, to usher in heaven. What a high calling. Lord, each person here you have created and destined for this great high calling to co-rule with you. Because Jesus, you share your authority. Uh, you share your, your glory and your rule with us. And that is just so amazing and we are humbled by that. So Father, I do pray again for a revelation uh, of the truth about the world, that you would shine a light on the garbage that we sometimes see so that we could see it anew, Lord. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons. Mm-hmm.